Good morning, everyone. Mercy, I have to talk fast because Tiffany was talking for so long. <laughs> Here I go. Ready? One, two, three. Let's go. Uh, no, no, no. No, it's... Um, uh, please take to heart her words this morning. Pray about it. And... Uh, and let us be that parish huh? and that uh, we come together. My friends, our first reading is from the book of Revelations, and John is being communicated to uh, by God, and he's using symbols uh, because it's mysterious things. But from the reading we heard today, uh, the, what is being described is the battle between God and evil. And we are told that in the end, God triumphs. Our second reading, St. Paul speaking to the Corinth community. Um, he refers to Christ as the new Adam who undoes the harm done by the first Adam, particularly lack of faith and disobedience. And uh, our church sees Mary as the new Eve, and then by her obedience and her faith to God, she undoes the harm of the first woman. And uh, our gospel tells of Mary's visitation to her cousin, Elizabeth, and contains Mary's fiat, her hymn of praise to God. She gives God all the credit and all the glory. And um, her, she speaks about the goodness that's being put upon her. And uh, my friends, this book of Revelation, as I said, describes the battle between God and evil. And uh, quickly, just so, because some people are like, I don't understand what the reading, what, is, what, what does all those symbols mean? I can't go through all of them. But... Uh, Represented here is the dragon. Now remember, in Genesis, it is a serpent. Uh, apparently, it's grown up. Huh? <laughs> the woman represents the church, and the child represents the Messiah. We know that it's Jesus Christ. Like the woman in the vision, the church was undergoing suffering at the time that the Blessed One, John, wrote he, these words down. The dragon, we are told, confronts the woman to devour her child. But the child is taken up to God. For us Roman Catholic Christians, we understand that as the ascension, the ascension of Jesus Christ to his Father. Jesus defeated the dragon and was exalted to God's right hand. The woman, representing the church, flees to the desert to escape the persecution. There she is nourished by God, just as the Israelites of old were nourished and protected by God. The final verse praises the triumph of God in Christ. My friends, when John wrote this, the church was under great duress and was having many, many problems. The reading was meant to encourage the early Christians by assuring them that God would finally triumph. We are in tough times also. So these words are to encourage us also. My friends, even though the figure of the woman in the first place represents the church, it is also seen as representing Mary. John was very clear about this. As the mother of Jesus, she was at the very heart of the battle between God and evil. Therefore, is it not entirely fitting through her assumption that she should share in the victory of her son, Jesus Christ? God would take special care of his great disciple, Mary of Nazareth. She is his faithful and faith-filled servant. My friends, on this solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 
we have the great joy of honoring this great disciple, Mary of Nazareth. In the gospel we read, she says, all generations will call me blessed. And she says, God raises up the lowly and has exalted me, his humble servant. The assumption of Mary is a singular privilege for her because of her most unique union with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, a union of body and soul. It began with the Annunciation and at the Incarnation. And it was enriched over all the years with an ever deeper participation in the mystery of her son, who is also the Son of God. As a disciple, she followed her son through his young years. She would follow him as the world spewed their hatred toward him. She would follow him to Calvary. She would follow him to his burial. She would follow him when he was resurrected. And she will follow him and did to the glory. Mary's life uh, outside of that, my friends, was very normal. A life of a woman of her time. She prayed. She worked. She went to church. Okay, they called it synagogue. But church. Every action and prayer were offered in total and loving union with Jesus Christ. On Calvary, this union would be put to the test, but ultimately would reach its climax in forgiveness, love, devotion, compassion, and great suffering of a mother's heart. For these reasons, God also granted her a full participation and benefit in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My friends, we know from the other books of the Bible that others were, well, brought back from the dead. The first one that comes to mind, of course, is Lazarus, Jesus' friend. <laughs> Jesus called him back because his sisters were so upset. You guys, are you guys, are you guys awake? I'm not catching the humor here. Apparently, Lazarus was not finished with the work that needed to be done, so Jesus called him back. So we know that uh, we also there's a prophet who, and Jesus brought back the the, the son of a widow. And uh, but my point would be here: body and soul assumption is Mary's exclusive privilege. Her body alone was preserved from corruption, not unlike her son. The preface for today's Mass will pray it well. Rightly, you would not allow her to see the corruption of the tomb, since from her own body she marvelously brought forth your incarnate Son, the author of all life. Each of us, then, who are disciples of Jesus Christ should contemplate this great mystery, which shows us that God wants to save human beings in their entirety, body, and soul. Jesus himself was raised in his totality, 
body and soul. But he is true God. And without Mary's assumption, we would not have a sign of our own glorious destiny also. Remember, Mary is human. Jesus is divine. Now, my friends, in those ancient times, many philosophers, particularly of the Greeks, understood the human soul uh, was destined to go on in some way. Uh, they even put forth that the soul would be happy in some way. But they had great disdain for the body. The philosopher Plato considered the body to be some kind of wretched prison of the soul. These philosophers could not, through human reason, grasp that God wanted the body to be united with the soul after death in heaven. These were all too much for them. They didn't know how to reconcile all of this. But this truth comes only through Christian revelation. The awesome mystery, then, of the Assumption confirms the unity of the human person. And it reminds us that we must glorify the one true and living God with our whole being, body, and soul. Were we to serve God only in our bodies, we would be reduced to nothing but slaves. If we were to serve him only with our souls, it would contradict our human nature. And it would go against the intimations found in sacred scriptures, particularly our second one today. So the solemnity honors Mary, absolutely, but it tells us something about ourselves, who are disciples of Jesus Christ. The assumption means Jesus' resurrected life is transferred to us. That's what the second reading is trying to tell us. After our Lord, Mary of Nazareth, is the first fruit of the first fruits. The assumption affirms the resurrection of the body as we profess in our creed. Every Sunday, we profess that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Unlike Mary, our bodies, our bodies will dissolve after death. Her assumption anticipates the general resurrection when our souls and bodies will be reunited also. We will not be ghosts. We will not be shadows. We will not be phantoms. We will not be flickers of consciousness somewhere out there in the universe. We will have transformed body because everything of us has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Every piece of us. The Christian faith affirms not only the immortality of the soul, but of the entire redeemed human person. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, leads the way into full glory because of her important singular role in union with Jesus Christ, her Son, the Son of God. Her assumption, body and soul, into glory was immediate. Ours is delayed until that final completion of God's plan for all of his creation. Thus, we, his disciples, have faith and hope and love and anticipate at the conclusion of a life lived in devotion to God, we experience the day of resurrection with our bodies. And we will be like Mary, our mother, 
and she is our mother. On Calvary, Jesus said to the beloved one, Behold your mother. And to Mary, his mommy said, Behold your son, the disciple. We are disciples, and therefore she is our mother also. Not only does she assist us with her prayers and her intercession, but also her life and her assumption shows us what waits for all who will remain faithful to her son. And there is so much more to the supernatural living that has not yet been revealed to us. But for now then, to God be the glory and the honor and the power for ages unto ages. Amen. Alleluia. Do you guys believe this? You better. <laughs> More coffee for you guys. So my friends, uh, the ambo uh, is, uh, in our church we have sacred uh, furniture, if you will. Uh, we have the baptismal font. Uh, we have the altar. And we have the ambo from which the word of God is proclaimed and a message, the homily, resurrection comes. Usually when I want to talk to you, you'll say I move away from it um, out of respect. My friends, um, we have in our, in our church's history uh, what we refer to as the Apocrypha. Now, that's not the, I'm not talking about Revelation, the book of Revelation. Apocrypha, simply said, are uh, writings that the church could not verify. So they're not in our canons uh, of scriptures. Um, but they're in this gray area. And we have several of, of those been attributed to disciples. And one of them uh, is um, been attributed to St. John, the beloved one. St. John, who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, and this is an apocrypha, so you do not have to believe it, but um, I wanted to share a piece of this. So he's communicating something that had happened, and particularly about Mary. And it's quite beautiful, and it's known in Latin as that transitus marii. And uh, it's very long, uh, there's six pages, but the one that I wanted to share with you, he wrote, and uh, Peter and some of the apostles were on their way. Uh, the Eastern Church refers to Mary's passing as the Dormition. She simply went to sleep. And uh, um, here, John is recording what is happening. And he says, And when the miracle had been done, when she went to sleep, when the miracle had been done, the apostles carried the couch and lay down her precious and holy body in Gethsemane, in a new tomb. And behold, a perfume of sweet sweetness came forth out of the holy sepulcher of Our Lady, the Mother of God. And for three days the voices of invisible angels were heard glorifying Christ, our God, who had been born of her, and when the third day was ended, the voices were no longer heard. And from that time forth, all knew that her spotless and precious body had been transferred to paradise. As your pastor, 
my prayer is that when your time comes and you are to transition out of this world, that the angels will be heard singing at your tomb also. <laughs>